Stuart Gordon once said, The Lovecraft purists are always very upset with me because I'm always throwing a lot of, a lot of nudity into these films. And there is no nudity in Lovecraft. But my argument is there, there is a tremendous sexuality about Lovecraft and a fear of sex, taking the reproductive act and turning it into something monstrous. Although <clears throat> he doesn't get explicit with it, he'll refer to it uh, consistently in his stories. And in a movie, you have to use images to show things. And you know what I say about that? You gotta do what you gotta do. Stuart Gordon on this episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. Attention planet Earth and beyond. Stay tuned for Attack of the Killer Good evening, and welcome to another episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. Tis I, Insane Mike, your humble host and lord and savior. This episode we'll be doing one of our director retrospectives, and this time we're talking about Stuart Gordon. But mostly we'll be talking about his film, The Wonderful Ice Cream Suit from 1998. Yes. Before before all of that, let's take care of some housekeeping. Want me fluff your pillow? Want me jerk you off? <laughs> oh, sorry, not that kind of housekeeping. Uh, Attack of the Killer Podcast is a member, yes, I said member, of the Phantom Podcast Network. The Phantom Podcast Network features a mixture of weekly horror and storytelling podcasts from some of our favorite up-and-coming horror shows. <clears throat> Go to downrightcreepy.com backslash phantom to check it out. You can also subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, iTunes Radio, or TuneIn Radio. If you are tuning in to us for the first time, let me explain a little bit about our show. This is a podcast. <laughs> There's more, I hope. Oh, fine. It's a horror-themed podcast where a group of friends get together and talk about horror films within a particular topic. It's an open, free discussion, so there will be spoilers. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, it's that time of the week where I have to fill out my bills. First, there's my electric bill, which has skyrocketed ever since I installed that resonator. I know I should get rid of it, but I sure do love those floating penis monsters. Yeah, it always did. Then there's the water bill, which is also out of control ever since those fish people started staying with me. So while you're filling out your bills, and before you send your donation to the Church of Cthulhu, you can donate to our Patreon. For less than your monthly prescription of Dr. West's reanimator serum, you can help keep the show going. So go to patreon.com backslash AOTKP and donate today. It really helps out the show. And as a thank you for donating, you get various perks such as bonus episodes, special YouTube videos, copies of the music from the show, a date with me, transcripts from Brian's <laughs> intros to Insane's picks. Uh, you can even get an Attack of Killer podcast t-shirt. One of those things isn't real. Yeah. <laughs> so check out the different tiers and donate today at patreon.com backslash AOTKP. A-O-T-K-P. 
And now, on with the show. And here is your all-star podcast crew! He is now on a list because he meant to rent Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, but the movie he rented left out one little word. Jason Bollinger, everybody! (laughs) What's up, everybody? He invented a new line of transforming underwear he calls Robot Jocks. Tad Good! (laughs) No, I didn't. (laughs) And they they all come with a chainsaw crotch. That's a lie. <laughs> this next podcaster is. Wait a minute. It's the nude scene from Castle Freak. Get it, Jeffrey Combs. Oh, I'm sorry. I guess I shouldn't write these intros while watching the movies. Brian Clark, everyone! <laughs> Hi there. Next up, she sure does love those tentacles. Terry Turford! <laughs> uh, no comment. And lastly, when he starts chanting Cthulhu, there's always some smartass in the crowd that says Gazuntite. Sam Hayes! <laughs> How you doing? Woo! How's everybody doing? Good, good. Excellent. That's, that's good. Good to hear. Are you talking about some Stuart Gordon? Heck yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, we're not ready yet, because oh. it's time for Killer News! It's time for Killer News. Rip straight from the headlines on Attack on the Killer Podcast. Anybody have any Killer News? Heck yeah, they just premiered the new Ash vs. Evil Dead Season 3 this week. I know, goddammit, I didn't get to see it. Anybody? Oh yeah. No spoilers. It's fantastic. You will not believe... First episode, they... I'm just kidding. I'm not going to spoil it. Yeah, I think the season's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, not that they aren't ever not fun. Yeah. But, I mean, it's all... I mean, it's said a lot in... At least the first episode has to do with the school. I don't know if it'll continue to have a school theme in more episodes or not, but... It was a different setting, for sure. It was fun. Oh man, I can't wait. Yeah. Can't believe I didn't watch it yet. I know. Yeah, what do you guys have that's more important to do? Like kids and work and shit? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> that's the only thing. Right now all those all those sweet intros, that's what I did over the weekend. Yeah, it, you can appreciate the hard work I go into. It sounded like it took three days <laughs> to do those. <clears throat> cool. Any what else in killer news? Well, I know that uh, um, you and me, you and I, nice. with, uh, Prescribed Films has a, a a film and a film festival in a couple weeks. Our short nice. Leftovers is playing at the Indie Horror Film Fest in Chicago, March 16th. The festival is 16th, Sweet. 17th, and 18th, but our film's playing the first day. And uh, pretty excited about it. Yeah, me too. We haven't been out of state for a while for a fest and well a fest that we were in anyway well yeah i know but we went to little rock arkansas once that was crazy but anyway yeah and we didn't even stay for our own movie anyway we went to that yeah it's because you realized you were in arkansas and you're like fuck we gotta get out of here this we gotta sucks. go <laughs> but sorry arkansas <laughs> listeners yep so 
So I know that's that's coming up. I'm pretty excited about that. There's also another uh, film of yours showing somewhere, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I totally. <laughs> I was gonna say any. any I totally meant to talk about it, or nah. uh, you want me to? No, go ahead. No, uh, we're also playing at the Late Shift at the Grindhouse in Iowa City on April fourth. Um, Our feature film, Demonica. Right. Feature film. Demonica. <laughs> it starts at 10 o'clock. It's at the it's in Iowa City. You just you just drive there and then it's playing. And that film scene. That film scene. Nice. Really cool thing they're doing there. And Have you guys been to the Late Shift at the Grindhouse before? No, not I've yet. I've always wanted to, always. so I'm really excited. It's really cool. What they, they show like a trailer reel before every movie. They have some... Um, the guys that run it are super, super cool guys. They come out and um, a lot of times they do giveaways before the movies. They come out and talk and introduce each movie. And if the filmmaker is there, like you guys will be, you know, yep. they have you introduce it. And it's just a cool little cozy theater. They have... Um, Good concessions. It's just like a paradise for film lovers. So, yeah, I can't wait. Because I want to go so bad. It's yeah. just it's always in the middle of the it's week. Always it's always on tough. a Wednesday night, yeah. and it's hard but. when it's when it's like an hour and a half away for us. But no more excuses this time. That's right. I have to go now. Yeah. Do you remember what you've seen there before, Tad? Or I saw the 4K restoration of Texas Chainsaw there. Fucking a, awesome. And I think I I saw the thing. I've seen a lot of the big bigger name classics. They they've played just so much awesome stuff, and I should go more often. But like you said, it's on a Wednesday, and it's at 10 o'clock. And being yeah. an old man, I work Thursday morning, so uh, it's not the most convenient. But if if something pops up and uh, I have to go, I'm going to go and you know regret it all day on Thursday at work, but. We're taking we're taking Thursday off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That old man across from me, I don't think could handle it anymore. So no, no. But I saw that pop up. Like I follow their Facebook page, and I'm like, oh, I uh, I think I know that movie. Because <laughs> we when we were in uh, Kansas City, I was like, you guys should play that at uh, Late Shift since they're always playing, you know, indie horror stuff, and you guys fit right into their mold. I mean. That movie is meant to be played to that crowd for that, you know what I mean? Like oh, late yeah, shift yeah. at the grindhouse. That's that's fucking perfect for you guys. So, oh, uh, now you got even more me more. Ah, you even got me more excited. Yeah, the idea of like we're gonna have a crowd Playing that that appreciates us, yeah <laughs> something. Oh yeah, man. Like like I said, this is it's it's like you know when I went. Uh, they have like I think about sixty seats in their in their theater, and you know we had to call up and make sure that we could get tickets. And of course, I was going to Texas Chainsaw, but I mean, it's it's a very popular you know it's very popular there. So it's it's cool. It's on a college campus, so you're always gonna get a pretty good crowd. I think they have regulars, obviously, but it's it's I love that place. So sweet, yeah, wait, be fun, yeah. Scrap Films, go team. That's right. So any other killer news? Uh, if I can be a whore for a moment. Uh, the the episode of the Fiasco Brothers Watch a Movie podcast that will probably be 
out by the time this episode drops is uh, their 20th episode. It's on Return of the Living Dead, and I have a guest spot on that episode. Yes, I'm really... Which means no one's going to want to listen to it. I want to. (laughs) I I can't wait. Because because you were going to be on it, um, I finally broke down and started listening to the show. It's a great show. Um, and I finally got through all the through. first 19, yeah, so, now I'm just waiting. <laughs> yeah, they, but they, you, they breeze along, they keep them to usually under an hour, and, uh, those guys, are, they, they pick apart movies with a great deal of academic know-how. Yeah, the big thing that you sold me on it was when you told me it's like the projection booth without the interviews, so... Because there, there's some of those projection booth episodes where, like, I kind of want to turn it off when it gets to the interview part. So, and you were right that they, they, I, I, they, you know, talk in depth about movies that doesn't always necessarily need in depth conversations about. So it's great. It's awesome. And they're not all horror genre stuff either. Like the most yeah. recent one was on Honey Dripper, which is about uh, like a period piece about the electric guitar coming into <clears throat> blues. So yeah, they do a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. But this time it's horror. Cool, cool. You can watch nineteen. You can listen to nineteen uh, episodes of a podcast, but you don't have half hour for Ash vs Evil Dead. Jesus, <laughs> Mike. I, I listened to the podcast before <laughs> the weekend. Uh-huh. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Any other news? I've got a few things. Yeah, let's hear. Um, it first one is not i mean it is related to horror because he's done um a horror film but um kevin smith nearly died last night yeah i saw that holy shit i'm glad glad that he's still with us regardless of what you think of his current films that guy has shaped independent film and is one of us so you know good thoughts go out to kevin smith i hope you know everything goes good and he still keeps posting on instagram and twitter every 20 minutes for the rest of his years, so. <laughs> what did it, what did he say? A hundred percent blockage. Yep. Jesus. Yeah. Scary. Widowmaker blockage. Yeah. <clears throat> it's pretty scary because you know he's he lost all that weight. He started taking better care of himself, but either. Yeah, he said his dad. Like it must be. I think it's like a you know sounds like a hereditary family hereditary thing because yeah. his dad had to suffer from a massive heart attack. So. Yeah. Scary stuff. So that was it one. You, you sound like you sound like you had more than one. Oh yeah. Um, the other one I just want to talk about, which I'll probably um, annoy everyone with, that I'll continue to update every time I <laughs> Halloween hear news. It. <laughs> uh, not 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 necessarily oh. Halloween the movie. That I mean that's wrapped, so there's not really a whole lot other than Nick Castle's Instagram, which you don't need us to recap. But um, Halloween Horror Nights, my favorite event of the year. Oh yeah. There's there's new rumors coming out about that, and um, if I- I'm trying to sell like everybody on this event because I absolutely love it, but the the newest rumors are that they're going to be doing a George Romero tribute scare zone, which is really awesome. Oh, yeah. And the other stuff that's rumored to be coming this year is um, John Carpenter's The Thing, which would be awesome. The new Halloween, the Blumhouse Halloween, which I expected. And they're talking um, the original Nightmare on Elm Street and Trick or Treat. Jesus, so the, the, li- the lineup this year, yeah, is is insane, and it's it's all coming from the same source that that leaked the whole lineup for last year. So 
I'm really hoping for all these. Um, I've, I, I'll take you know all these. They're they're all exciting to me. So, you know, I always keep my my eye open for the latest rumors and and uh, they're they're also <laughs> talking about the new it and Stranger Things, which you know yeah. if you throw those two into it, oh my god, like biggest year ever. But dudes, we gotta go. Yeah. We gotta go with Ted. Yeah, yeah. gotta be awesome. Let's make it happen. But it's sort of the scare zones are sort of uh, out. They're they're out in the streets of the park between each house, and they they keep props every year, and they try to reuse them in creative ways. And the the talk is they did five years in a row of The Walking Dead before they finally ended it, which was you know way too many years. But they have <laughs> yeah. they have all these awesome zombie props and um, set pieces and stuff. And from what I'm hearing, they're going to be doing using a lot of that stuff for the Romero scare zone and it will sort of be the evolution of the zombies. So they'll have black and white zombies from night of the living dead all the way up to, you know, the, the current zombie. So it'll sort of Sweet. be an evolution. And, and if it's like they've done in past years, it'll be really cool. Cause, um, they've done this with, with, um, a scare zone before where it was the evolution of just horror in general. And, Certain times of the night when you walk through, it was the classic Universal Monsters, so they had, you know, Frankenstein's Monster, Creature from the Black Lagoon, Bride, mm. and they were all in black and white, and the lighting was all black and white, cool. and then you walk through, you know, a few hours later, and it would be set up for, like, 80s classics. You walk back through later in the night, and it was modern. They had, you know, The Purge and, uh, Str- and Strangers and, and stuff like that, so... I hope they do that with the Romero one. That'd be awesome. But that's that. That was just something. Like I said, I will um, up and through September. I'll probably talk about this too too much as I hear new things. But <laughs> no, that's exciting. That's, that should just yeah. be your segment. Yeah. There <laughs> there's like three or four podcasts that I listen to that are strictly ba- based on Halloween Horror Nights. So those guys, oh, nice. you know, uh-huh. they, they have a hardcore fan base. I see the same people every year I go. So awesome. So, well, I kind of want to, I, I feel like I'm addressing the white elephant in the room because no one's brought it up, but I just want to know everybody's thoughts on this whole whole uh, Del Toro lawsuit thing. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Or did I just ruin the whole mood of the show? No. I haven't seen the movie that he's getting sued over, and I haven't, I mean, I've seen Shape of Water, I haven't seen the movie yeah. that they'll the makers of the film are, are bringing a lawsuit against him, and I don't really know anything about it. So. Well, basically, what it's it's not necessarily the movie adaptation. <clears throat> the the author of a a play basically he wrote a play and his son is suing, and the the play's been adapted on stage and in a movie that I sort of sent to you guys just because it's funny to watch, but um. <laughs> apparently the stage play like as it's written is way way closer than the actual sort of crappy movie that was made off of it there's there's a lot of coincidences i mean a lot of similarities so i don't i don't know if that's a coincidence i don't know he claims del toro claims that he's never heard of it never read it and i hope that's true and and the timing is you know it always right around oscars a lot of these types of things happen you know people are yeah. saying another studio you know went out found this and, and is trying to hurt his chances at an oscar i don't know 
Well, I hope not. I hope it doesn't hurt his chances. Yeah, how does that... I'm no, none of us are lawyers, but, like, if you've never heard of it or read it or have any acknowledgement of its existence, how can we can't you get really, in trouble for that? We can't really prove in a court of law right. that you've never seen it. Yeah. All you can do is prove the similarities between the two properties. So, but, but, again, as creative people... What, what? How? I get what you're saying. How can you be accountable for something you don't know? What if Brian accidentally writes a sentence that's used somewhere else? And you know, like what? We have so much pop culture in this world <laughs> that, like, how can you get in trouble if you really uh, okay, don't know? Okay, but like the similarities. I mean, I haven't seen this other film, but sounds pretty spot on. Like to get. A couple of the things the same would be one thing, but it's like down to the details of the creature signing a word and the dolphin signing. It's also like Del Toro is not the only writer on Shape of Water either. He had a co-writer, so it's possible Mm -hmm. that some of these influences are brought in not by him, but they're just going after him because who the fuck's ever heard of that other woman who co-wrote the script? (laughs) Yeah, it's hard telling. Yeah. Hard telling, but yeah, um, but I'm pretty sure we could all find two films that are similar beat by beat that you know don't really have any connection. You know, like Jaws and the Last Shark. Oh wait a minute, <laughs> that's a bad example. <laughs> <laughs> that's an example for the prosecution. <laughs> and and there's one. It's I don't know. It's to me reading it i mean of course i'm reading articles that are strictly pointing out the similarities without without telling us what um is different from between the two right so you know but i mean it's it's a female janitor that works overnight in a lab that has feelings for a creature that's being uh tested on and she has like a a friend that works overnight with her that's telling her she shouldn't do it, and they sneak the dolphin out in a hamper. I mean, it's like down to the fucking thing they carry the creature out in. Yeah. You know? It's, it's, it's like, holy crazy. shit, man. Like, if, if it's a coincidence, which I really hope so, it's just a crazy, a crazy, crazy coincidence, you know? All I know yeah. is when I first saw the article, I'm like, well, fuck, there goes the Oscar. Us horror fans can't have nice things. You know, but uh, Get Out still nominated. I know, but I'd rather it be Del Toro. I'm sorry. I like it. I like Get Out. Don't get me wrong, but you know, I don't. I don't know. I, I, oh, man, it's tough. And you know, even if Shape of Water does not win, they'll always have that thought. Well, is that what did it? Because yeah, even. People were were really shocked that Franco didn't get nominated for Disaster Artist, but that story about his sexual assault came out the week before the ballots were due, and everyone's saying, oh yeah, that, that was definitely a hit by another studio, basically trying to ruin his chances. So, you know, not, the, not to say that, you know, he didn't do those things, or, or yeah, he didn't do those things, or that he, you know, deserves an Oscar regardless of what he did or anything, and at the end of the day, it's 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 an award, you know. You still he's still got the film made and everything, but yeah, you'd hate to see it if he if it's not true or he didn't you know steal it. You'd hate to see it affect his odds at winning the biggest award of his career. I didn't hear about 
about um, Franco's controversy. I didn't hear about that. Um, yeah. But I have a theory about that. He does. Is it he did not hit her? He did not. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, uh, well. Here, before I tell you my crack pot theory, uh, clue me in, Ted. What what happened? What's 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 he in trouble for? With Franco? Yeah. Um, he's. He's like an acting teacher, and some of his students are accusing him of making them do some weird stuff and making him like making them like forcing them to do things in his car with him and um, doing things they weren't comfortable with in in his acting classes or in his short films. Now, did this all all this come out right before the movie came out? No, this came out one week before the Oscar ballots were due. Oh, okay. Yeah. There has been a Franco controversy right before every big Franco project. Um, like when he did the. Uh, does does am I the only one that remembers when he did the uh, what was it the interview? Oh no, that was a huge thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, but that went away. After the movie was done and over with, that went away. Then he yeah. got brought up on. Um, he then he got accused of like sexting an underage girl or whatever right before yeah. a movie came out about about a guy with an underage girl i can't remember the movie or whatever right and people thought that one was like a, a way for him to just get his name out there like a you know and that's my theory i i have a i have a theory that he's do he's doing all this even if it's bad press he's doing it himself because it's just i don't think it seems a little coincidental that there's always some kind of controversy that somehow even ties to ties to the theme of the upcoming movie that's coming out. Well, I don't know about this one because he he um, he was on like Colbert the next night or the day it broke, and he talked a bit about it. But then he did not show up to to a few different awards, like award ceremonies that he was nominated and won at. And then I don't think he would go so far as to do that right before his his chances of an Oscar. If he wanted to do that, he should have done it. I mean, the movie was getting huge word of mouth. It, you know, it did well yeah. enough that he didn't need to do that. And uh, he did it. It would have been the worst possible timing for him because a lot of people are saying, you know, he was a front runner for... I mean, he, he won, you know, a Golden Globe. He, he's been nominated for literally everything except for the Oscar. The movie only has one nomination, and it's for the screenplay. So, yeah, I mean, you got a point there. If this would have happened before the movie came out, then I would think my theory would be more valid. But um, I still think those past ones are still him doing it because he. I think he's just that nutty enough and that ballsy enough, and sees himself that sees himself that much of an artist more than an entertainer that he would I mean it's like the Shia LaBeouf thing I think 95% of Shia LaBeouf's stuff is is all just him on purpose so, oh yeah and and, and um, so yeah but I don't know maybe maybe you're right maybe not this time because yeah it's only hurting this time around I guess but I don't care it still didn't make me want to see the interview so huh. But I still need to see the disaster orders, damn it. I still need to see the room. Oh, man. Gotta see the room. You and Jason should watch it together. It's actually playing at the theater here in Mason City tonight. 
No kidding. Yeah, I, I, I don't know how. I don't know how they pulled that off because our theater never gets any odd, you know, little limited release things. But they have the it's, room for some reason. They didn't get the disaster artist, but they've got the room. It's through uh, Fathom events. They're doing it again. Like they. Yeah, but our, our theater never does those simulcast Fathom events things either. We've hmm. never had a Rift Tracks here. We've never had any of the big, uh, re, you know, like when they did the Star Trek reissue earlier, or uh, well, I guess it was last year, or any of that stuff. Like, they just don't do those. Maybe they so, thought it was the new one. <laughs> could be the manager of this theater. It's kind of dope. <laughs> All right, we should probably get into uh, talking about some Stuart Gordon. So let's do Who? it. Who? I don't know. Who wants to start us off? <clears throat> I guess I will if no one else wants to. There you go. <laughs> I'll start off with, um, on a good note, with dolls. <laughs> it's always... Is there a bad note? I was just uh, going to say, he always puts a little bit of that in there when he... <laughs> I feel, like, I, I feel like on this podcast I've turned into the cynical one because, um, <laughs> it, which is weird because I've always sort of been criticized for being the guy who's a little too, um, like, gentle on movies. Like, I, I seem to like a lot of, like, almost anything regardless, but, man, this this podcast has turned me into a... <laughs> The opposite. But with with Dolls, do it's it. pretty... It's a pretty simple story. Um, a old couple stops at a mansion during a storm and um they happen to stop at the mansion of a creepy doll maker and um yeah the dolls come to life at night and that's pretty much the story without spoiling um the ending but it was it was to me out of this group the most fun hmm Hmm. I, I don't. It sounds like um, Brian doesn't agree, and, and by the silence, there's others that don't agree. But um, I, I like this one. I I had kind of avoided it because you know dolls, dolls. but uh, went to B Fest and couldn't avoid it because it was one of the movies. <laughs> but it was actually, I mean, it was fun in a group setting. I don't know that I would have enjoyed it nearly as much if I had just watched it on my own. But. Um, no, it was fun. Um, really liked a lot of like the stop animation and things like that in there. Thought it was really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the effects work is is great in it. And I mean, I like all the movies on our list tonight, but Dolls is my favorite off of this list. And Do- Dolls actually may- might be, if you were to take away Reanimator, it would probably be my favorite Stuart Gordon film. There's such I a mean, you. Me and you can agree for one time. There's such a fairy tale aspect about dolls. I'm I'm so confused. <laughs> There's such a fairy tale aspect about dolls that I that I really like because the dolls are only really punishing the the bad characters that that we all don't like and hate and like um, it's all it's all creepy and everything. But you know the the old couple they're they're kind of sweet and grandma and grandpa like you know and everything and. And in its own way, it's got kind of a, like a uh, like a fairy tale twisted happy ending to it, and I've always liked the doll work in it, and I, I and I appreciate a killer doll movie that actually uses dolls that we all know, you know, like Puppet Master. Those are like 
specially designed for the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Chucky, Chucky doesn't exist outside of, you know, the good guy dolls don't exist outside of those movies. But these are like porcelain dolls that we see in all of our creepy aunt aunt and uncle's houses, you know? So, so I, I definitely appreciate, I can't think of another killer doll movie that actually uses dolls from our own reality. Uh, so I appreciate it for that. Um, and I, the main, I'm trying to remember the actor's name. The uh, Stephen Lee is the actor's name. He's the heavy set guy, and I think he's hilarious. I think he um, does a great job in this movie. So I, I'm a big fan of dolls, absolutely. But Brian, you're not Stephen or? Lee. Oh no, I I like dolls. I'm <laughs> oh, okay. like favorite Stuart Gordon movie. No way. Um, I I will say the I agree with the wording of of what. Tad said about it that it is the most fun of the the three main ones that we have on the list tonight because it is more fun because the other two are pretty intense and dolls is just more of a of a kind of a romp and like you say it's a fairy tale and for the longest time I would have sworn blind that Stephen Lee was also the guy who played Norris in John Carpenter's The Thing but that's Charles Hallahan but uh-huh. my God that those two guys look identical. <laughs> Um. Yeah, this one like the first time I saw it, I was I didn't really care for it. It was another one of our high school movie nights. This one got picked up. Not yeah, I think it was before I knew why I should think Stuart Gordon was important. Um, and that big bear monster that comes out of Teddy at the beginning and that hallucination scene, like oh my god, this is going to be awesome. And then nothing like that ever happens again. So yeah. it's like I think I was mostly just pissy because there wasn't more bear monster. Um. But yeah, it, it's enjoyable, and like Terry said, it's it's a lot more fun of the group, and it was great to watch it at B Fest because everyone was having a good time with it. Cool, uh, Sam. What do you think of Dolls? Um, it's been a few years since I've seen it, so I can't I can't honestly remember a whole lot. Other than I don't know. To me, I'm just like very indifferent to it. Honestly, maybe I need to rewatch it, but. It's got some moments, but overall, it's definitely far from my favorite Stuart Gordon film. Um, but yeah, these you know dolls are fun though. Just killer dolls. There's not enough of those kind of movies, so it's always fun to see a even a decent one. But uh, yeah, I should rewatch it. But okay, isn't isn't there a uh, I thought there was like a, a celebrity in this, like a, for some reason I remember there being like some celebrity cameo. I'm trying to to look for it. Maybe I'm misremembering. That's yeah, a pretty small, a pretty small cast. cast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jinx. I can't think of anybody of a name that would be in this movie. Yeah, maybe not. Carolyn Perkins. I thought I remember like some... Like some pop singer was in this movie. <laughs> the two, the two punk rock girls that show up with, um, with <clears throat> Ralph are kind of like wannabe Madonna, Cindy Lauper types. So that's probably what you're thinking of. They're not actually anybody important, but they do dance around and sing to the radio a little bit. <laughs> hey, they might be important to somebody. Okay, that's pretty harsh to say <laughs> to their mothers. <laughs> <laughs> and to cues. 
That's all I can <laughs> yes, remember the one was, chick saying. <laughs> because that got picked up, and that was one of the running jokes at B-Fest for a couple movies yeah. after that was people yelling anti-cues. And also lots of jokes about Stephen Lee being a pedophile. <laughs> the little girl. Just, like, creeping. <laughs> Take such an innocent Which relationship is, between I mean, us two, and you just ruined it. That was just people having fun with it, but... Yeah. Jason, what about you? What, uh, oh, sorry, Sam. Go ahead. I was going to say, refresh my memory. What I'm trying to like remember some of the, the memorable deaths in this movie. What, what was your favorite death? I don't know if I. I don't know if I'd call it my favorite death. Um, but I love that that scene. I, where are they at? In the attic, I think, or whatever. And they come across one of the punk rock girls. But her face is all porcelain, and her eyeballs are out of her head, and she's holding up her eyeballs. Like, yeah. That moment is my favorite moment of the whole movie. Uh, cover art of the movie came from the cover art of this. Like, when we'd walk by it in the video store when I was a kid, it would creep me the fuck out. But Yeah. <laughs> Either that or, like, I, I would definitely enjoy seeing the, uh, the wicked stepmother getting her head bashed in, so. I think my favorite is the Toy Soldiers. Oh yeah, the toy soldiers uh, when they start mowing them down, coming forward in waves like old British troops. So they stood there and waited for them to do the whole drumline part first, and, <laughs> and just like screw this and start punting them down the hallway. Right. <laughs> that's that's my biggest thing about like killer doll movies. How is this? What? Why are you threatened by this? Just step on them, kick them. <laughs> walk past them like they can't fucking do anything they're dolls yeah but I guess these are like magic powers they can get you dolls. while you're sleeping true you've never tripped on your dog before <laughs> no I guess that's true I have tripped over dogs before so <laughs> and then they get you down and then then you're dead and meat. lick your face that's and right oh, aww um. Yeah, I liked the movie. I, again, thought it was fun, but more the most lighthearted of the three that we concentrated on. But yeah, um, it's my first time, and um, it was totally good. Us, you know, and and the ending was, you know, made it better. Yeah. What was really going on? And yeah, the little reveal at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, cool. Um, yeah. So, uh, Brian, what one? What one do you want to talk about? Oh, let's go with Dagon. Sweet. That's yes. far and away my favorite one of the bunch that we're we had on the list tonight. And I honestly think this deserves to be right up there with Reanimator and From Beyond. Um, I'm glad to hear you say that. <laughs> this feels like a very forgotten Stuart Gordon movie, or maybe just kind of, I don't know, swept under the rug yeah. or whatever. And it, it, you can obviously, it obviously suffered from budgetary restraints, but I still think, but I love this movie. This movie is, is awesome, and it's awesome to hear you put it right up there with Reanimator. That's cool. Now, I, this was actually going to be their follow-up to Reanimator. Like oh, the, really? the script, yeah, the script for this existed in 1985, not as it is now. It went through lots of different mutations by the time 2001 came along. As far as it being swept under the rug, it's been hard to get a hold of. 
Yeah. I mean, you, you, you can get it on DVD now, but like in 2001 when it came out, online purchasing still wasn't as big of a thing like your main resource for buying movies was still going to the store and i could not find this fucking thing anywhere like i took a road trip to a town an hour and a half away from me when it came out to buy a copy because at the time i was working at a record store and we couldn't even get it like order it to come into the store because i like a lot of times when a movie came out that i wanted i would just have the boss throw the movie on the order of you know because music and movies come from a lot of the same distributors and it was just hellacious trying to get a hold of this damn thing when it came out and i'd been following it on uh i think probably dread central maybe through fangoria so i mean i knew it was a new hp lovecraft movie from the guys who did reanimator and i was really excited about it and and i think you know even now it's not it doesn't show up streaming anywhere i think it's just not on a lot of people's radar cuz it never got yeah. pushed real hard over here it did come out theatrically in spain cuz they made it um they made it in spain at uh, brian Musen's fantastic factory yeah studio what did it in the us did it go straight to sci-fi channel no no i don't think it even came out on cable it was just straight yeah, to straight dvd straight to dvd i i figured that was just my way to uh, rip on it so Oh, <laughs> shit. I, I think I did. I think the first time I saw it was on Sci-Fi Channel, though. Okay. I mean, so I maybe, don't think that's where... it did debut on Sci-Fi, then. Yeah. But it's not I a mean, god... It doesn't look like a goddamn no. Sci-Fi <laughs> Channel movie. It's it, better it, it than that. It wasn't made specifically it, for them. Back before Sci-Fi... Yeah, it was Before Sci-Fi was original premiere. movie was a, was a dirty word... That they would pick up independent movies and and give them their U.S. premiere on Sci-Fi, like uh, Neil Marshall's Dog Soldiers was a Sci-Fi original over here. That was the first time anyone could see it in the states was when it aired on Sci-Fi, and then like a week or two later, it came out on DVD. Also, so, Frankenfish, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and Frankenfish is awesome too. It like, is. They, they used to <laughs> really put out like good things on the Sci-Fi Channel. <laughs> Ah, uh, well, tell us about so, the tell us about this movie because it's awesome. All right, so it, even though it's called Dagon, it's not, and I don't know why this wound up getting backburnered instead of and in favor of From Beyond. It might have been budgetary reasons. Maybe those older scripts had way more monster stuff in them, and they just couldn't find a way to get it on screen for the money they could get a hold of. Well, if you think about it, like From Beyond. It's like four people in one house, so that's yeah, got to be way cheaper. There's a lot cheaper. of monster effects in it. A lot of monster effects in it, sure, but it's got to be a lot cheaper than a town that's raining constantly with uh, yeah. with hundreds of extras. So That's true. So, so the original story of Dagon is one of Lovecraft's first, and it's really, really short. It's just a guy who washes up on an island, hears some people <laughs> praying to this big stone idol, and then this giant fish monster shows up, and the guy goes, oh, I'm now insane, and that's the end of the story like most lovecraft stories um but so the the movie dagon is is actually based on the shadow over Innsmouth. in fact the spanish town that it takes place in imboca is could be translated into english as in the mouth so in's mouth imboca shadow over Innsmouth. anyway so this uh this dot-com millionaire paul marsh 
is is out celebrating his new millionairedom with his uh, supermodel girlfriend and a couple of their friends who are like 20 years older than they are so maybe they just like showed up on their yacht before they left and they couldn't get them to leave i don't know yeah i was kind of confused on the relationship between the four of them yeah so paul marsh uh fish guy and and the the other guy from the couple's name is howard phillips lovecraft nudge wink giggle tee that kind of thing in these movies is almost like black metal like Everyone knows the corpse paint is silly, but if you're going to play black metal, you almost look sillier without it, because that's just a given part of the genre, that if you're going to make a Lovecraft horror movie, somebody's going to be named Howard or Philip or, you know, there's just going to be those little things in there. So uh, the storm blows up, their boat crashes on a reef, and they go ashore in this creepy little town where everyone's kind of pale and drippy, and like Mike said, it's raining all the time, and nobody blinks. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it comes out to be comes to pass that this town is actually full of fish monster people who worship the sea god Dagon, and are in various stages of mutation to become immortal fish people and return to the ocean to live with him. And uh, there's a very important reason why Paul has these weird, almost gill-shaped bruises on his side. Hmm, interesting. My, uh, my first question, the actor, uh, Ezra, uh, Godin, Godin. Godin, who played Paul Marsh, um, do we, th- does anybody else think that, uh, that Jeffrey Combs probably aged out of this role? Because Ezra yeah, I, is like, he's he's Jeffrey Combs. Yeah, he is. And he's really, <laughs> yeah. really good. Yeah, he's good. Because he's, really he's in another thing that I'll bring up later, but um, I've, I've only ever seen him in the two Stuart Gordon things I've seen him in, and I, I looked him up on IMDb. He has not done a lot of film work. He, he does a shitload of video game voiceover work. Yeah, I saw that too. Yeah. And, and being a British guy, I'm guessing he does a lot of stage stuff, a lot of theater um, that's you know a much British? bigger part. What's that? Is he British? I didn't yeah. know that. Yep, he just does a really convincing American accent, and you know he's really handsome. He's a good actor, and it's just one of like, well, how come he has not been in more stuff? Like, if I made a movie, I'd hire him. <laughs> so I, I really like him, and I just find it weird that he didn't get put in more movies. What I really like about this movie is the atmosphere. I appreciate the fact that it's raining through the whole movie because it just so adds, it's like nighttime and it's raining just constantly through this whole movie. really adds to the atmosphere of the movie. And I like movies of isolation. So when he first gets on the shore and there's like, there's hardly anybody around. Like at first there's there's the priest and he takes off with the uh, with his girlfriend. And then when he gets back to shore... Um, he can't find his girlfriend, he can't find the priest, there's the creepy, the creepy innkeeper, but there's nobody else around until, like, he looks out the room of his, of his hotel room and sees, you know, people standing out, staring up at his window, making weird fishmen noises, I guess, but, uh, and then just, just, this whole movie of just constantly being chased around by these fish, by these fishmen in the rain, 
it's 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 a really it's got a really creepy atmosphere that I just really de- that I really dig. That's my favorite aspect yeah. of this whole movie. Yeah, it's very it's, it's very paranoid and isolated. It's very um, the, you know the rain and the constant darkness makes it kind of claustrophobic. Yeah, and it's just it never like the tension of these things chasing him never lets up until they all get caught. Like it's it's paced really well. It you know there's never a moment where you're like all right come on. Let's get going here. And I love the flashback that shows how the village came under the thrall of Dagon in the first place. And that weird, like, bell clanking music. Like, it's all percussive, like, bells and stuff that is the soundtrack to that flashback. And I think that's awesome. Most definitely. Uh, Jason, what did you think of Dagon? I was just trying to remember that scene and the music, but I can't. Um, Yeah. It, it's very simple. It. It's just really effective. It's you wouldn't want to just sing a little of it, would you? <laughs> no, because it's just like clanking noises and bells ringing and stuff. Like it's you not. Think you, like, could you clank for us, please? Yeah, like <laughs> like what exactly? Oh, yeah, clank, tinkle, kachunk. How about oh, that? Oh, that does. Sound oh, that familiar. is that. Yep. Yeah, kachinkle. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, I liked it too. I I agree with everything you said so far. It it definitely drips of a vibe. Drips. Um, yeah, everything is moist in this movie, and I'm sure, it was a lot of fun to shoot. Oh god, uh, horrible no probably. <laughs> yeah, and I, no, I agree with what you said. The pacing was great because the dude just couldn't fucking get away, and he kept. Running into shit, and he's like, "Where can you go? It's the whole fucking town." Yeah, and he fi- finally finds that old dude under the whatever, and gets a story. Oh and... yes. Now Ezekiel was yeah. that guy's name. The actor was Francisco Rabal, and he was like to Spain what Anthony Hopkins is to England, or uh-huh. even to Americans now because he makes a lot of movies over here super well-respected actor had a decades-long career mostly in you know critically acclaimed dramas and things like that and this was his last movie and Mm -hmm. he actually died before he got to see the finished product which is too bad but um what when they hired him you know they obviously especially brian usno having lived in spain a lot of time like they knew who he was and they're all like now are you sure you want to Dude, like this is not in your wheelhouse at all. Are you sure you want to be in a horror movie that might kind of taint your name and your reputation? And as it turns out, he was a massive horror fan in general, specifically a big H.P. Lovecraft fan. Had read all of his works and was very familiar with Lovecraft, and was really excited to do the movie and was really happy. And he wanted to have a gruesome death scene. Like he was just all in for that. <laughs> uh, he got a gruesome death scene. That's for sure. Yes, and that is. I've seen this movie, I don't know, at least ten times, and that scene gets me every time. That oh, is me too. one of the most gruesome, unpleasant, unsettling death scenes I have ever seen in a movie. Yeah, because it just goes on and on. They drag it out, but when they're when he's cutting around the eyes, I actually flinch a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that one and um, Edward Woodward getting torched at the end of Wicker Man. Like those two are like the the biggest gut punch, still effective. No matter how many times I watch it, death scenes in movies to me. That's another good one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's interesting you bring up Wicker Man because they both kind of have that that vibe, that whole, you know, kind of the same story about this guy coming to a weird village island full of cultists. And to me, that's like the most terrifying kind of dread-inducing stuff is just when it's like one guy against the whole little society of like monsters. Hmm. And it's, it's like I, as many times as I've thought about those two death scenes in you know comparison to one another I've never thought that about the two movies before but yeah you're absolutely right they are at least in the broad strokes very similar yeah totally yeah it's it's interesting though that he uh, he kind of moved the story from because in the in the original Lovecraft short story it takes place in Massachusetts a fictional Mm -hmm. Massachusetts town and you moved it to uh, to like Spain, right? Yeah, that that was interesting. Which just adds another element of isolation and hopelessness that he doesn't even know how to speak to anyone on the island. Let alone, you know, that they're fish monsters. But then there's also a language barrier, so it's just even that much more alien. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so Tad, you didn't like it, huh? <laughs> oh, I like to just sort of joke around. Um, this one started like when when it kicked off. I was pretty into it, and I don't know, man. Like, I I really wish I, I would have liked to seen this. Like when Brian was saying this was supposed to be his follow up to Reanimator, I would have loved to see this done at that time. And I've I I feel like the budget really limited it for me i mean the production values of it reminded me it felt very direct to tv but for what they had to work with apparently from what i'm what i can tell i feel like the story and the and everything the acting the performances are really good in it it's just the overall look and sort of feel and especially some of the effects were were hard to stomach but it's still um like you said, very claustrophobic and very... I, I really like the movie, how it sort of, when it was going, and you're sort of just trying to figure out what's going on with the main character. And this is a first-time view- viewing for me, obviously. And it had my attention from the get-go and kept me throughout the whole thing. So that's saying more than a lot of other movies that we've um, watched for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I I agree with you that the moments that they had to use CGI are pretty bad. I do like the one where it's the Dagon point of view under the boat after Barbara has gotten her leg crushed on the reef and the blood is floating down in the water. It yeah. doesn't look real at all, but it still looks kind of neat because yep. that red is very saturated in the shot. So like it's one of the few moments of really noticeable color until we get to the very end of the movie when there's a lot of gold and a lot of red in Ezekiel's face. Um, but like the as, scenes as, when they look out into the ocean, like red right towards the beginning when he gets on shore and they look out and it's storming, it's like, it's, it's almost like, it's hard to tell if like, what is he at first? I was like, what's he looking at? Oh wait, that's supposed to be the ocean that he was just on. It looks like uh, it doesn't, I don't know, it was so bad it was hard to tell what he was looking at at first. 
Mike would probably be able to speak to this better than I could, but it, it almost looks like it was shot digitally and not on film. It's kind of flat, which I know is kind of the point because it's supposed to be very colorless and rainy. But, you know, you're used to being, you know, reanimator, and especially from beyond with all those great purple tones in it, are so vibrant and colorful because they're shot on film. And they right. look so rich, and this looks very desaturated and flat. Well, I don't know. I, it, what do you think? It felt you'd... more like it was shot day for night to me. It's, oh, really? Yeah. Mm. And, like, really? they had to, like edit faster to like not let it linger too much it was disorienting a bit for sure which i think you know plays to what they were wanting to do too but i don't know i just yeah i thought it i, I agree it was definitely washed out and had but, the definite flatness I, I still think but, it was shot on film because yeah this is this is would be it was 2001 so that'd be early digital yeah. age and shooting rain and yeah digitally like that it would yeah. it would look really choppy that's true it would have looked like it was shot on a camcorder if it had been digital at that point probably for the money they had anyway um <clears throat> yeah well if you go back that. and look at like 28 28 days later and you look at the rain scenes in that the rain doesn't feel like very natural it looks kind of choppy and that's because that was shot digitally that film was shot digitally <clears throat> and it was one of the earlier films to shoot shoot that way too. Yeah, I think they were one of the first ones to use the red, right? Yeah. No, no I thought it predated the red. Twenty uh, years for later. Some reason I was yeah. thinking. I, I, I thought that's what it was. Thing. Yeah. Was it the red? Oh. For some reason I, I thought it was. A, or I mean, I knew it was digital. Yeah, it was definitely digital, but I I don't know if it was the red cam. I think it predated the red camera. Yeah, I think so. The the yeah, Go ahead, sorry. Dig, uh, I was going to say, I'm looking at the, uh, the IMBD, and yeah, Dagon was shot on 35 millimeter. Really? Sure. Hmm. Kodak. Yep. Yeah, the, the other two really egregious moments of CGI are the tentacles coming out of Ushia's <laughs> mouth and then Dagon himself. Um, when, the, when the rendering company finished creating Dagon in the computer, they went to Stuart Gordon's like, you know, the, the difficult, expensive part is already over. Like, making the monster in the first place is, is what's hard and what takes so much time and costs so much money. Now that we've got him, you know, we could, for just a little bit more money, we could probably give you five or six more shots of the monster. And he looked at it and went, nah, let's not. <laughs> so, you're, so you're telling me that they actually did finish those effects? Yes, those were the finished <laughs> effects. <laughs> I don't I'll know. Even the, this is still pretty early days of CGI being a widely used thing. Like, you know, you had your mega budget things like Jurassic Park and that, but this was still before the Asylum got their claws and everything. It was just, fuck it, let's just digitize everything. Because the practical effects in this movie are all really good. Yeah. Yeah. It's I just mean, you the look digital at, stuff that falls apart. You even look at those, like, Scorpion King or whatever movies with The Rock, and those oh, were, God. you know, big budget <laughs> movies, but those effects were way worse than this. So. Yeah, I was gonna I mean, say like, I I I hadn't seen this movie in a long time, but I the digital effects held up a lot better than I re originally remember seeing them. I know when I saw the tentacles, so except for the tentacles out of the mouth. That that one, that I was one's still, still like, pretty bad. I was just like, oh, I didn't let it ruin me, <laughs> ruin anything. I was just like, oh, that's cute. The, the effects in this are still ninety seven point eight percent 
practical. You know, there are maybe six or seven shots that use digital effects, and everything else is right there in the camera. So, was is it is it digital or practical when she rips off her robe at the end and she's slithering towards the? That I think it's a combination. I think, I think so too. I, think I thought that half, looked good. I, thought I think that the top really half good. is actually her walking, but then they like scrubbed out her legs and yeah. put the tentacles in there. I feel like they built it down over green. Yeah, you know, so it starts. But yeah, I mean, I get that it's a combo, but I still thought the CGA part, CGI part of that looked pretty good. For it looked that okay. It was just awkward. The walk. Well, yeah. Just the way it moves, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It wasn't the worst thing. No. And I mean, technology even... has come along 17 years since this movie. Jesus, that makes me feel fucking old. <laughs> but, um, you know, the computers advance, uh, you know, so quickly anymore that, you know, this they might as well have been programming the effects of this on a calculator <laughs> as far as what they can do now so it's it's kind of unfair to to compare almost 20 year old digital effects to from a movie that was probably made for a couple of million dollars to something today that's made for 250 million you know yeah agreed but i still you know especially considering you know how old those effects are i think they they think they held up pretty well i've seen Newer films with a lot shittier looking CGI, mm-hmm. that's for sure. Hey, Terry. Yeah? <laughs> What'd you think of Dagon? I liked it. I pretty much have the same complaints as anyone else, just the CGI was not awesome. Um, I really like the main chick... The what girlfriend or whatever, or the well, n- well, the, both of them. They the were both good, lady. but the yeah, the fish lady, mm-hmm. um, who the actress's name is Macarena, FYI. Hey, Macarena. <laughs> but um, but I thought she was really good. Um, she has creepy eyeballs. Yes, yeah, it's always does. a good feature. <laughs> Do you think she got cast because of those eyeballs? Because they're kind of fish-like, right? Probably. They are. Yeah, they are for sure. Got a very spooky look about her. Yeah, yeah. she's kind of like a cross between like Asia Argento and Christina Ricci. <laughs> I was thinking a little little Barbara Steele. Yeah, yeah. I can totally see that. Because Barbara Steele to me is like one of the most gorgeous women ever, who also can like terrify me just by looking at me. Like she, I don't know how one woman could be beautiful and creepy all in the same all at the same time. Yeah, it's like some Riggs. people like it's like Vincent Gallo. He's like walks the line between really handsome and really ugly. <laughs> As Joe Bob Briggs would put it, Mike, you don't know if she's gonna kill you or have sex with you, and you don't really care. <laughs> You're fine either way. <laughs> uh, but uh, what was with dressing her like um, what's her face in Big Trouble in Little China there at the end? I don't. Yeah, I saw that too. I was like, it was the first I, I had. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Kim Cantrell, her character. <laughs> yes, yeah. That crown is pretty sweet. Terry, did Ezekiel's death scene make your skin crawl too? Oh, for sure, yeah. No I liked him. He was probably my favorite. <clears throat> so that was unpleasant 
<laughs> and watching it again for the first time in forever, and and the fact that his main motivation for the through this movie, well, not only to just you know, like survive and get out of this town, but like try to find where his girlfriend is and save her, and what happens to her at the end, like. I thought that was I thought that was awesome and really effective and like mm-hmm. that's my favorite death in the movie is is his girlfriend and you know because she's naked. Well, f- full disclosure here. When I wrote Brian's, <laughs> I wrote Brian's intro while watching that scene, but I thought I would change it to the to the nude scene from uh, from the other movie we're going to talk about just because like what you guys think I was like super super weird and creepy for too late. Um, <laughs> The fact that she's all chained up and dangling I, just, I there. love the little the the touch that when he when she gets dropped into the water and he you know kicks all the fish guys out of the way and cranks her back up on that chain and even though she's only been down for you know thirty seconds she's already covered in squid ink yeah and it's just it's got this traumatized like thousand yard stare in her eyes and the fact that her, her arms are just dangling there after she after she gets pulled down by a dagon that was that's just awesome i would say for what little you get to see of him i i think the monster design is pretty cool i would like to see like a, maybe a stop motion version of it or something that would have been neat that would yeah that would have been really cool do it stop motion absolutely and at that, at that point, it couldn't have been that much more expensive than doing it CGI. Yeah. But maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I, I just love, like, the whole world of this movie. Like, like the original story, I think, is one of Lovecraft's best, which is saying a lot. It's just, like, so, so rich with, like, mythology and atmosphere. I think you could totally, like, have a sequel to this movie very easily. Absolutely. They were originally going to have the giant stone pillar, which became, like, wow, this is going to be really... It's either going to be really expensive or it's going to look like complete garbage and it's going to be, like, one of the centerpieces of the movie. So that's how they wound up doing the big undersea tunnel instead. Mm. And I thought mm-hmm. that was one of the... I said I liked the the view from under the boat best digitally. I actually think the the giant tunnel is probably the or the the pit is yeah. probably my favorite digital effect in the movie. I think that I mean it's not that hard to make a big black hole in the ocean floor, but it just <laughs> looks neat. Yeah. And it gives you such a sense of scale of what's right offshore underneath this town because when you see Paul and Ushia swimming into it at the end, like they're just little specks. This yep. thing is like three hundred feet across. I mean it's gigantic. And it's got all those weird, like, centipedes and things carved into the sides of it. It's just really cool. Definitely. Definitely very cool. Hey, Sam, are you a fan of Richard Corbin? Richard Corbin? The the name sounds familiar, but I'm trying to comment of who that is. Primarily does horror stuff. And he's a big, like, he does a lot of pulp horror adaptations. He did a lot of stuff for Creepy and that kind of thing. Um, and he did, a, like, a three-issue miniseries for Marvel's Max Comics, which was, like, their short-lived adult, well, I mean, not adult, like, porn, but, like, more graphic line of comics. And I can't, I was, like, 
Lovecraft's haunts or something like that. And it was basically just him adapting like one or two of Lovecraft's stories per issue. And one of them he did was Dagon. And he is absolutely my favorite horror artist of all time. His stuff is just beyond creepy and instantly recognizable. He's got a style like nobody else I've ever seen. And uh, yeah. so, yeah. And Dagon was one of the ones he did. So, yeah, you should check those out. Yeah, I'll have to look them up. Yeah. Yeah, I think my. I think my favorite memory from this movie, though, is uh, I actually got to see it with Stuart Gordon on the big screen oh. in 2013, which is pretty cool. Yeah, you lucky son of a bitch. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> but yeah, he, he kind of, he like introduced it and uh, he talked about, you know, the fact that Lovecraft was, you know, afraid of fish. He hated fish and he hated sex. And uh, man, Shape of Water would totally squig Ralph Lovecraft out, wouldn't it? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. But, yeah, it was just kind of cool to hear him muse on kind of the genesis of the movie and you know his take on it. But uh, yeah, it's good. It's yeah, very underrated. Surprised it hasn't gotten more more of a fan base. Yeah, I just want to say it out loud so it'll actually happen, because that seems to be the trend on the show, but Scream Factory needs to uh, yep. do a awesome Blu-ray of this. So then next week, uh, Scream Factory's going to announce it. I just have that feeling. So, Brian, uh, the next Halloween Palooza trivia night, if I do the keywords game again... Uh, I'm going to give you a leg up here and give you the keywords to Dagon off of IMDb. Okay. <laughs> First one is half-brother, half-sister relationship. The next one is half-brother, half-sister incest. The next one is brother-sister incest. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> They're really kind of harping on one, one aspect of the movie there. <laughs> good times, good times. All right, so we got one more movie. One more movie off of the master list to talk about here. Uh, who wants to? Uh, who wants to cover it? Sure. Yay! Um, <laughs> <laughs> the next movie we're talking about is Castle Freak. Um, Castle <laughs> So basically, uh, Jeffrey Combs. And his family, who have recently suffered a tragedy, and they are traveling to crap Romania, sure somewhere. I can't remember Close some foreign enough. country where they, where, because he is allegedly the only living heir of this giant castle estate and everything therein, and so. They go there, only to eventually discover that their the um, long abused uh, son of the Duchess, who uh, just passed away, is in a dungeon down in the basement of the castle, and he gets out and wreaks havoc. But ref- and that's about it. But refresh my <laughs> refresh my memory here, or maybe I'm confused. So the Duchess w- 
Duchess, as it turns out, to be Jeffrey Combs's real mom too, right? So the mm-hmm. so the quote unquote castle right. freak is like his half brother, right? Okay, something like that. Yeah. Jeffrey Combs plays John Riley, or as I call him, John Exposition, because uh, <laughs> he's got some amazing dialogue in this movie. Like when he finds the mirror that's been broken, he says, "This mirror broke." <laughs> or when he sees the picture of the boy on the crypt in the in the basement, when it looks like his dead son, he says, "JJ, my baby boy." Yep. Like, <laughs> like the script should have gone through another rewrite and not uh, telegraphed us everything that's uh, going on in the movie. That's that's all I'm saying. Yeah, there's like some very on the nose dialogue for sure. For sure, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a testament though to their their acting that they can make it sound somewhat naturalistic. The uh, the castle they shot it at actually belonged to Charles Band. Yep. It was I don't know if the I don't know if the movie was supposed to be set in Italy, but that's where it was made. That's where the castle is. And this was very much a you know, harkens back to the to the George Weiss scene in Ed Wood where do you have a script? Fuck no, but we got a poster and it opens in Tulsa in nine weeks. Apparently Stuart Gordon walked into Charles Band's office one day and there was a poster of this freak, like chained up to a wall and being whipped. And uh Stuart goes, Well, what's that? And it's, you know, it said castle freak on it. He goes, What's that? And Charles Band looks at him and goes, Well, that's a castle and there's a freak. <laughs> and he goes, okay, well, could I make it? <laughs> Charles Penn's like, fuck, whatever, I don't care. <laughs> so he went away and made the movie. It's like, as long as you keep that title, like, that's the only thing I care about is that it is called Castle Freak. Apparently he just thought that was the most genius thing in the world. The freak lives in a castle. I'm Charles Penn, I own a castle. What? Right. Uh, he, probably right. Owned a, he probably owned a freak, too. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Um well my understanding a lot of ca- a lot of uh, full moon movies got made that way. We got a title and we got a poster and a line of action figures. Yep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I think that castle was used a lot though in full moon productions. I think uh I want to say subspecies oh, sure, cheap. made there. He well, are, yeah, he already, he already owned, owned it. it. <laughs> yeah. It's his own it's his own studio, right? So but yeah, what's everybody's thoughts on this movie? I like it. I thought Barbara it was Crampton. That's my thoughts on this movie. <laughs> yeah. Was I the only one when when um, <laughs> so the 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 castle freak uh, kidnaps the blind girl and Barbara Crampton like pulls open her shirt, starts grabbing her boobs, say, "Take me instead." Was I the only one that was kind of yes. hoping the whole boob would pop out? Yes. <laughs> Good lord! That's the first. <laughs> yeah, it might be the only mo- movie she did with Stuart Gordon where she does mature tips. That's what I was. She, th- that's she, my she point. Doesn't, she that's doesn't my take point. him out, and she doesn't take him out from beyond. She's wearing that like S and M getup, but she's not naked. But sure? Mike, I could have sworn, sworn there's a boob shot in there. Her performance in this movie is awesome. You see nudity from that other woman that Doctor Pretorius was fucking, but. Oh, Barbara okay. is not naked from beyond. Huh. huh. No wonder I don't watch it very often. Um, 
No, you're right, Jason. Barbara Crampton's performance is awesome. I mean, because there's a lot of this movie, it's just purely based on the uh, the dysfunction of this family and what Jeffrey Combs has done to the family by drinking and driving and, you know, killing the son and blinding the daughter and how she won't forgive him and all this. And, and you know, they're trying to put the family back together, but it's just not working. You know, there's so much of that going on, you know, before we even get to the castle freak. So, so both of them, great job. But how awesome Stuart Gordon casting! Like, well, I've used you guys enough. You guys are almost like an old married couple. So you might, we might as well be an old married couple in this movie. Uh, thinking back to uh, keywords and thinking about this movie, I'll never forget the look on uh, Justin's face. The first Halloween of Palooza that the kids and I came to when we were playing keywords. <laughs> and the first keyword was full frontal nudity. And Isabella goes, Castle Freak. <laughs> Justin's jaw hit the floor. <laughs> You've seen that? <laughs> Keeping in mind, she would have been 10 at the time. <laughs> that's awesome proud I remember woman. that yeah had had literally turned to ten that day in fact oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, kids but no I, I really like this movie it's for for you know considering the way it was made it's I mean Stuart Gordon it's pretty damn good um I remember when it came out it was what ninety five ish yeah ninety five yeah um, I remember there being this buzz around it at school. Like it, this was before I, I'm sure I had some issues of Fangoria and stuff, but I, it was, you know, pre internet days. And, you know, before there was a lot of easy ways for a kid to follow news on really gruesome movies. But I remember hearing people talking about it at school. Like, Oh, there's this new movie castle freak. My parents let us rent it, but I think it was like NC-17 when it came out, maybe. So it was kind of this like taboo, like this is way worse than Friday the 13th or or uh, Nightmare on Elm Street or something like that. Like this is this is real scary horror. This is gory horror. This is more violent than anything we've ever seen. And just all these kids talking about it at the lunch table. And my thinking about it, like this is... I have to see this, and there's no way in hell I'm going to be allowed to see this. <laughs> so I knew about it for years. I was so excited when it finally came out on uh, DVD, and I picked up a copy. And it, like, I could see how a bunch of 12 and 13 year olds would have that buzz about it. I mean, obviously, I've seen way worse things than that now, but yeah. even so, it's like the unrated cut is pretty fucking gnarly. There's some nasty stuff in this movie. Why? Well, why? Well, what's my? I wonder what my Blu-ray is then. I mean, I just rated cut. Well, what makes? Do you know what what made it unrated? I would guess probably the Seems. chewing the nipple off scene and that Mr. scene Stumpy. Was and Mr. Stumpy, yeah. yes. Oh, eh, that didn't bother me. No, the chewing yeah. eating out scene was awful. Oh yeah. yes, and that. That. Yeah, uh, that was probably the worst part. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm sure those are shortened, if not cut completely, from 
if there's an R-rated cut. Well, I'm trying yeah, I think to... the, I think the DVD I have is the uncut version because those are those scenes are all intact, and I can't see any way in hell the MPAA, even if it was going direct to video, giving a movie an R rating with that shit in it. Five minutes for the unrated. Five extra minutes. Well, I thought I read somewhere too that this was the first Full Moon production, not under that was released that that was released not under Paramount. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting, and you know, since all their stuff is direct to video, I'm surprised. I'm, I'm would be I'm surprised at all that they still went through the process of the MPAA. If they knew they were going to get an NC-17. Oh, maybe they were still shooting for a theatrical release. I mean, that, you know, Full, oh, Moon, was, Full Moon wasn't a complete joke yet by uh, 95, so it, they might have still been trying to make something of it. Because I'm sure once Bands saw what he had, like, oh, wow, yeah, this is way different than uh, any of our other output. That's There's, there's a real movie here. <laughs> well, yeah, because Stuart Gordon was doing it. Yeah. Yeah, it, you know... It, if you were to take all of the Full Moon and Empire pictures, you know, and lay them all out, the ones that are going to rise to the top are all the ones that Stuart Gordon did. Even Pet and the mm-hmm. Pendulum was still a you yeah, know that's su- really good a superior Full Moon production. And that, the freak makeup in this is fantastic. Oh yes, 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 yes. I think it was um, Greg Canem that did the creature in it. I have to look. You can talk. I'll look. It's good makeup. <laughs> yeah, it's also coming back to the uh, Lovecraft connection. It's loosely based on a, a short story of his called "The Outsider," which is about. It, it's not the whole coming back to the ancestral home and all that, which was a thing that Lovecraft explored quite a bit, like with the weird incest stuff and inbreeding and that kind of yeah. thing. But uh, the Outsider is just about this character the outsiders you know i don't think he has a name in the story and he lives in this castle and has been there alone for his entire life and has never had any contact with humanity or the outside world or another person and uh he just one day decides like i'm gonna get out of here and and go out and see the world and he breaks out of the it's been such a long time since i've read it i can't remember if he's trapped in the castle or is just never left like of his own volition or what or what the what the impetus for that is, but yeah, no, I think he he's like trapped in like some kind of underground dwelling, oh, and he that's right, he, that's right, because he's like he like, like climbs a blind up. Al, he's like a blind albino, isn't he? I can't remember. Or am but I thinking like, of a different story? I think that's something else. But yeah, like he climbs he climbs up and he goes to this castle kind of mansion area. And there's a whole bunch of people there, and he's trying to, like, you know, join the party. And they all scream at him, and he looks in the mirror and realizes that he's this decrepit monster, basically. Go so back it's like a very loose adaptation. Yeah, um, I, if I remember, that's another pretty short one, too. So, I mean, you got to add a lot of stuff to make it run 90 minutes, but... yeah. I really need to go back and reread all my Lovecraft collections. Like that was, I got into him in high school and you know devoured everything I could get my hands on. And there were right around that time, just you know, lucky me, they happened to be reissuing everything in these 
these collections. So it was like I could just go to the bookstore here in town at the mall and pick up. Look, and you know, they're all most of them are public domain, so you can get them just about anywhere. It's not like they're hard to come by, but it just so happened that as I found out who H.P. Lovecraft was, there were these brand new editions of these things coming out, so it was real easy to get a hold of and just plowed through them. And yeah, yeah. it's been a while since I've gone back to it, but yeah, I feel like I feel like he, uh, like this movie, it's almost kind of like in addition to being a loose Lovecraft adaptation, it's almost like Stuart Gordon trying to make like a giallo movie, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, like yeah, good call. Italian kind of castle setting, like, you know, a deep red or something. I wonder, you got like, I wonder if like the blind, the blind girl, is that like kind of a nod to... That's what I was beyond? thinking. That's what I was thinking. I, I had that in my notes that like, it makes me do, it makes me do wonder if there was some some Italian influence on on this film for Stewart because, you know, she looked she reminded me of every blind girl from every Lucio Fulci movie. Yeah, even in the even in yeah. the um, in the way she talked and stuff, you know, she talked way younger than she appears to be, and a lot more, you know more naive and stuff. But like the straight hair. The, the kind of the redness around the eyes and the contacts in those eyes just really reminds me of every blind girl you see in an Italian horror film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. And just like the whole like kind of mystery kind of aspect to it as well. Mm-hmm. It's just like very noir. That's very uh, giallo. Giallo, yeah, you're right. I didn't even think of the giallo, giallo connection. Everett Burrell and John uh, Vulich are the makeup effects artists I was thinking of that worked on this movie. Um, Everett Burrell worked on a lot of Del Toro movies, and both both of them did like the Night of Living Dead, Tom Savini remake. So it wasn't great, yeah. Canyon. I was wrong. Yeah, I think this does have like perhaps my favorite. You know, performance from both from both Jeffrey Combs and Barbara Crampton, and just like so, so good. But uh, so like good. the scene that always stands, the scene I always think about it is uh, uh, when Jeffrey Combs is in the bar and he's like, getting shit faced. Yeah, like his his drunk acting in that is yeah. so good. <laughs> it's the best. He's oh, yeah. like stumbling over and. Learn his words. That's yeah. how you drunk act. <laughs> Jeffrey Combs is, is he's just awesome and everything. I I will watch anything that's got him in it. But I still have to say my favorite performance of him of all time is still the Frighteners. So I had trouble with the scene where he cheated on her again. Yeah, it kind of bugged me too because you're you're kind of wanting them to to fix right. things, you know, fix this family, fix this relationship, and then it goes and. But then again, like if it didn't have that moment, it wouldn't set off the chain of events for the rest of the movie either, though. Yeah, and it kind of you know they do kind of resolve things. It's just in a bittersweet kind of tragic ending, but they do. You know, they kind of come to some sort of resolution. Yeah, I just, like, I mean, I mean, I know where you're coming from on it, Jason, too, because 
there, yeah, you do get some resolution there at the end, but it, you, but not really. You know what I mean? Like you just really, this whole movie is is based on them trying to put their family back together, and it just keeps going down the hole even further by his actions, and you don't get that like, hey, we're gonna be all one big happy family there at the end, you know, but. I just, yeah, I just stopped caring about him once he did that. Oh, his character was dead yeah. to you by that point? Yeah. Gotcha. It's like, well. Do you guys think that uh, Stuart Gordon is into, like, S&M? <laughs> like, <laughs> between, between this, From Beyond, and Pit and the Pendulum, there is, like, a lot of fucking whip action going on. I'm just wondering, is he, like, got some kind of fetish there? Mm, I don't know. He's really Maybe. into whips. If he is into it, he wants to be. I don't know, just, just an observation. So, like, the cat and nine tails thing that they use in this movie is not necessarily for that. That's, like, more like religious chastisement sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to be into some full-on Hellraiser shit to use a yeah, cat and nine uh, tails for S and M because those things are designed <laughs> to rip the flesh off of your back. So yeah, for sure, I mean, fucking tore that cabinet apart with it. Maybe, maybe he's a Cenobite. Stuart <laughs> Gordon could be. It's like the most gentle, soft-spoken, mild-mannered Cenobite ever. <laughs> but yeah no I, I like this movie overall I definitely thought that I felt that of all the performances that I liked Jeffrey Combs the least yeah um, I felt like Barbara Crampton was really solid and I thought the daughter was pretty solid although a little chill, a little cheesy in, in moments but she did pretty well for, you know, having to act as, like, a blind person. I mean, that's no easy feat in and of itself. And I thought she did a pretty good job. And the freak, the castle freak, did he was really good. And the uh, the housemaid, she was really good. But Jeffrey Co- I, I don't I don't know that it was necessarily his fault. I think it was just the way he was written. Like you guys were talking about, how there were just so many very factual exposition-y sort of lines that he has to deliver and kind of made me want to punch him sometimes (laughs) but i mean it was good but brutal especially that whole scene with the the prostitute i was grimacing the whole time like i'm like oh what am i watching but it was good. I liked the downer ending. Yeah, d- downer, but a, a redemptive at the same time. Like exactly, like that's his way of getting forgiveness. Yeah, their their relationship was so damaged that I mean, there's not enough counseling in the world to come back <laughs> from that shit. So that was really the only way he was going to be able to redeem himself. You know, in the eyes of 
at least his wife's daughter still, you know, she seems to forgive him and they're <laughs> well, okay a little bit. he can't redeem himself in her eyes because she's blind now. Uh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and it was his fault. It was his fault, though. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh. Fun, fun, uh, fun trivia fact. This movie was actually blessed by the Vatican. What? what? Literally. You can do that? <laughs> Why? Like, like the Pope said, yeah, I like this flick. We should have more I... movies with chicks getting their vaginas chewed off. Was it filmed near Rome? I guess maybe Rome and not Romania. I guess that makes sense. Yeah, it's in Italy. Huh. Yeah, maybe the maybe the Pope was uh, a Stuart Gordon fan. Was that who was Pope in? Was that a uh, John Paul the Second? Yeah, probably so would have been him. Because I keep huh. track of popes a lot. <laughs> So let me ch- let me check my pope chart. <laughs> Tad, I haven't heard you much on this one. Well, another bit of trivia. This came out on my on my tenth birthday, and it's the worst gift I could ever think of. Oh my god! <laughs> so, um, I actually was given a Castle Freak action figure many years ago, and I what? had no awesome. idea what Do you it have was. That? Yeah, somewhere. Um, probably in a plastic tote hidden from oh, public view. It's rare. But I sort of... Is it rare? Yeah. I thought they... I assumed since someone gave it to me for free, it was one of those things that they couldn't give away. But... Um, <laughs> I assume Charles Band just rides on a parade float just throwing puppet master toys at people. Like, here, just take them. No one buys these things. Yeah, I mean... When it was given to me, it was like on the card, but the, the it was so poorly made that like the bubble was falling off, and I don't know. But um, aside from the the toy and it being made on my birthday, the the freak he was he was cool. The makeup was good. Um, Jeffrey Combs is he, he'll he'll uh, act the hell out of any yeah. movie you give him. So I have to give him that. It was. It was a product of its time. I mean, it just felt so 95. But it's it's also weird to think, and I know Jason's going to hate me for this, but it's weird to think that this was literally made one year before Scream and how different those two... It feels like they're made oh, yeah. ten, 10 years apart. Yeah, at uh, least. When I watch Scream, I think, and, and, and this is where Jason will probably lose me, is like, when I think of Scream, I'm like, yeah, this... When that sort of re-ushered horror in, I think of Castle Freak being the reason that we needed it to be re- <laughs> <laughs> It's like, I don't know, man. Like, I, the 90s horror to me, like... Was uh, garbage. Yeah. It's just tough, man. It's, like I said, it's just a, a product of its time. I feel like if they would have done the same movie in the 80s, maybe, like, I don't know why, if it would have been different or what would have changed about it, but maybe just the feel of it would have been better. But it, I mean, like I said, you know, you can you can get a good performance out of that out of that guy and just about anything. There, this, The story here was paper thin, and it still kept my interest all the way through, and it felt 
like it was a pretty quick watch, which is always good. Like <laughs> I didn't I didn't feel myself wondering when it was going to end, you know. So but like now that I'm hearing the story of it um basically starting off as a poster on a wall, I mean it makes a hell of a lot more sense now <laughs> as to why Stuart Gordon would do this thing, you know, but for for having that, I mean every time I wanted more of of course that's that's what they're trying to do but i wanted more of the the castle freak himself we kept getting little glimpses of him and he's creeping around the house and you know and it, it all builds up and we finally get the reveal but yeah i mean if you got a big castle and you got a cool poster get it done man <laughs> you just reminded me of one of my favorite moments is um <laughs> when Jeffrey Combs is chasing after the alleged other person in the castle, like, early on, and the castle freak is, like, in the room with the covered furniture, and he, like, blends in perfectly. Like, I didn't even, I couldn't even tell where he was until he popped up. I'm like, oh, shit, that was awesome. (laughs) Like, how did you become a chair? Um, But, yeah. Good story. But I, I, I agree with you, though, like, uh, until we started discussing it tonight, like I didn't, I didn't catch that it was 1995, and I, I mean, I would have bet the farm that this was in the 80s, uh, like eight, late 80s or very early 90s. Like it seems so mid-90s. much older to me than yeah. 95. It doesn't even make sense when I first saw it and under realized that it was actually 95. I I don't believe it. It's just got that brutal, mean-spirited, and, you know, the the gore and the violence. Like, it, it doesn't, you know, they didn't make movies like this in the 90s. That's why it was, Yeah. it's, it's such a surprise. It's like, yeah, like, it came out the year before Scream. It came out when horror, like, the most neutered time in the history of horror. Well, this one's kind of neutered, too, but in a different way. <laughs> <laughs> just Just blows my mind. I just... Hard to More gilded than neutered, I guess. But anyway, yeah, I think it would have been right at home in the eighties. I think yeah. I think maybe the one weak part of the movie is is the score. It's kind of like Charles Band monotonous, yeah. Super cheap, like made on a ten dollar Casio keyboard. <laughs> yeah, it like, really it, had, uh, it really needed a proper a, orchestra score. Yeah, or like a goblin score, it would have really brought it home. Which really would have nailed it down into the giallo even more. Like that would have would have made yeah. it feel that much more Maybe like one. Someone should like do a recut and like put some goblin in there. That would be awesome if they could rescore this. Yeah, if they could just re- it. and re- <laughs> if they could just get like. I don't know, Dario Argento and reshoot the entire movie and change you the story. Shush. <laughs> <laughs> I like this movie. I know, I just say, know. Go ahead. You say Argento, and that reminds me, you know, that reminds me of, of his uh, Masters of Horror episode, Jennifer. It's not quite like this movie, but that might be the uh, Argento version of this movie. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. What were you gonna say, Jason? I just know I was going along in this movie, and it was—I was into it. And I'm like, you know, what's going on? And then, as soon as 
Mr. Stumpy come out, I'm like, all right, here we go. <laughs> it's going to be that kind of movie. And it still yeah. didn't prepare me for the poor other girl scenes, but I'm just so happy that Tino walked out of the room for all that stuff, thankfully. <laughs> I watched this one by myself while trying to wind 100 foot of um, coax coaxial cable. <laughs> I was trying to get it, trying to get it way... into a into a very small box, and it was very frustrating. So, I hope that didn't uh, affect my views on the movie. <laughs> You're more interested in that box coax than <laughs> you were. Awesome. I just gotta say that is a weird euphemism, and this is an odd choice of movie to watch. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you said it, man. I was biting my tongue the whole time. <laughs> well, cool. So I have a question for everybody. I want to know what everybody's favorite Stuart Gordon movie is, and do I have to take Reanimator off the table? <clears throat> I think you better you, you better do that. <laughs> okay, so let's take Reanimator off the table. So, what is your favorite Stuart Gordon movie and why? Uh, Tad, what do you, what's yours? Oh man, I feel like this is like the next obvious choice. Should we take From Beyond off the table too? <laughs> <laughs> we'll just eventually start taking all the good ones off, and we'll be left with Space Truckers. So. No, that's okay, because if you take those two off the table, then I'm out of answers. <laughs> so <laughs> yours is from beyond. No, oh, it's no, not. If, here's what I'll do, because okay. that one's the next two obvious. I'll, and I'm going to go for one that I just, uh, like, I really like, and, and this isn't just one, but I really do like both of his episodes of Masters of Horror. Mm-hmm. I think, I think it, that show doesn't get enough credit for taking what um, a lot of horror of course masters of horror a lot of these older um horror directors who've sort of lost their way and released some not great films leading up to the series and it really like made them shine and reminded us why we love these guys in the first place it sort of proved that they can still they can still do do, yeah they can still do it and this is to me a prime example because not that you know i know you guys really liked dagon and you guys i don't know but for me, I, I like Stuart Gordon, but I don't. He's not high, He's not up in my my top of my uh, directors list for not even in horror. I, I love the guy, but you know, it's I love him for for uh, From Beyond and Reanimator, and that's pretty much where my my uh, love came from. But those two episodes, they're both very strong, and mm-hmm. and when you think about it, I mean that series, it's when you're putting them up against other episodes they it's sort of like you're you're putting the elite against each other and if you have a standout episode that's saying a lot because i'm comparing them to other great directors episodes and both of those i really liked i think i like the black cat more yeah um and but it's sort of funny because like dreams in the witch house had the same uh lead from dagon and like you were saying i think maybe that could have been you know uh, I don't know. It just it, it that could have been his role if they if he was a little bit younger. But I don't know. I I really like the Black Cat. I think it's that. I'll just go with that since uh, 
it has Jeffrey Combs playing Edgar Allan Poe. Just, just yes. I can just say that once, just that one sentence, and that's enough. So I'll end <laughs> it with that. It's a good point. Masters of Horror was so good. It's just it still saddens me. It didn't last longer than it did. But a new revelation I've had about that show is it just me or the one the episodes that are done by the more classic filmmakers, the ones that you know we felt that we felt kind of lost their way towards the towards the end of their filmography leading up to Masters of Horror and they are those episodes that they those guys have done like you know Joe Dante or Stuart Gordon or you know Dario Argento or whoever are much or even or John Carpenter Cigarette Burns is still one of the best one episodes um those are so much stronger than the stuff made by the newer guys yes definitely so that's inter- that's an interesting thing to think about I think in some of these, um, like, they, I don't know, I feel like maybe the format, like, I definitely think with, not to get too far off topic, but with, like, John Carpenter in his case, I feel like he was just so tired of filmmaking that when this came to him with the option of you don't have to write it, you don't have to do the score, you can, here's here's a pretty decent budget, you only have to fill an hour, like, they, that fit right into what, he got interested again it made him give a shit so you know i don't know maybe if you know they have that i don't know if that's the case with the rest of them but um i don't know it just it sort of gave them you know a a little help i don't know but i i i love the hell out of it and i agree that these uh older filmmakers i remember when when this was airing it was like you know, you'd get online and there was rumors like, oh, they're going to get Rob Zombie for season two. They're going to get Eli Roth. They're going to, you know, there was all these names people just wanted to see. And it was it was exciting to see, you know, who they were getting and who was doing what story and who was involved. And it's just, it was a good, it was a fun time. I mean, the, the some of the episodes are pre, aren't great, but just the fact that the show existed just made me giddy yeah. when I was, you know, as a horror fan. That was like so fucking cool. Very cool, and I, I feel like with uh, with guys like John Carpenter or Toby Hooper, I think the appeal and why their episodes work so well too is that they were kind of given free reign. You know, I yeah. feel like especially with some of these old, some of these classic guys like John Carpenter and so on, that their le- their their later films aren't as strong because they're they're tired of fighting. <laughs> They're tired of fighting producers and studios and stuff, so they just kind of, you know, just kind of, uh, kind of caved, I think, to some degree, on some yeah. of those films, where this is like, oh, I get to do whatever I want, kid in a candy store, and then you know, it comes back to full form of what we do, what we love about these guys. So, well, and the whole thing was helmed by a fellow horror director. You know, it was all yep. Mick Garris's kind of brainchild, so yeah. he knew exactly how to make make it a good environment for them to be able to work in. Exactly. And and bring their best to the table. Yeah. So bummed it's gone, but it is what it is. It's just the two seasons? Yeah, just two seasons. And And then then, the Fear Itself one that was on NBC, but that kind of sucked. Which I never never seen a single episode of the Fear Itself ones. But I see Stuart Gordon did one of those, though, too. Yeah, I I watched a few episodes. They didn't. They only aired like two or three, and then I think the rest went either like you could watch them online or on DVD or something. But yeah, I think they they filmed these things and they sat on them until 
like the writer strike came about and they didn't have new episodes of their series so they they started airing these and then the writer strike ended and they were like well get this horror show off tv and they only showed it a few like a few episodes they didn't even air all of them they filmed them and they didn't even air them which is just a fucking slap in the face but fucking networks yeah so terry what's your favorite Stuart gordon film not reanimator well this probably isn't gonna count but i'm gonna do it because i can um (laughs) but i noticed when kind of perusing all of his filmography that he didn't direct but he wrote Mm -hmm. honey i shrunk the kids (laughs) like him and all of those guys that blows my mind i mean it it makes sense if i think about it but I, I remember watching that movie in the theater and seeing Stuart Gordon and Brian use his names. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, what the fuck? I had no, that, that, that blows my mind. Yep. I had no idea. And this was like like three years after he did From Beyond with Flying Dicks. And he's like, <laughs> and, and by the way, honey, I shrunk the kids. If I remember correctly, he was actually supposed to direct it because they'd been yep. shopping that. Or, like they'd had the script and were shopping it around to studios and they just kept getting fucked over and fucked over. And eventually he, they'd be like, yeah, we're going to make the movie, but you don't get to direct it. But he's got ties to the whole franchise. I mean, granted, the two theatrical movies were i think credited story only you know like his you know his characters because of characters but i think he was a producer on the tv show and he even directed he even finally did get to direct honey i shrunk the kids one of the actual tv episodes so can you imagine the movie with um jeffrey combs instead of rick moranis (laughs) (laughs) oh oh, that would have been so warped and weird Honestly, that's a tough call because I love me some Rick Moranis, though you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think he was, it was a you know the. I, I was just saying hypo- hypothetically. I'm just thinking if he It'd was still be to cool though. It, he would try. You know, he would definitely shoot for that. So just I, I could see him more in like the Matt Frewer role, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Although I don't want to take away from him either because I love him too. Oh yeah, I like him. <laughs> oh, I love Matt. Oh, maybe oh, Jeffrey Combs could play the ant. <laughs> Stuart Gordon's on an older episode of Monster Party where they mostly just talk about his movies and kind of chat with him about his career, and he talks quite a bit about Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. <laughs> I was going to say probably what he still makes the most money from. Oh, well, yeah. yeah here, probably still gets a lot know. of nice receipts. Probably still makes more Disney money. Disney movie, yeah. yeah. I mean, they had that, like, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, like, land at Disney World forever. Yeah, I went to the, oh, really? the 4D movie showing of that where, like, the mice run under your feet and shit. It was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's fucking Stuart Gordon, man. That's crazy. Yeah. At, at the at the MGM park, well, it's called Hollywood Studios now. But at uh, at Disney World, they still have that. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, like the big play set area where you can go in with the giant ant and stuff. I think so they cool. just might have gotten rid of it, like just the last couple months or something. But oh, bummer. But uh, yeah, I've, I it, that's a it's just crazy, you know, to think. Like, there's a part of um, Disney World that's thanks to Stuart Gordon. Yeah, yeah it's insane. <laughs> there, there's no reanimator land, but... Damn it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, actually, now... Um, I won't go there. Let's, let's move on. You... I just will... I really want to rewatch that, at least that first one, again, now 
knowing that and like through those lenses uh, like trying to pick out like all of the influences and things that he got away with i don't know <laughs> that's I don't one remember of those one tentacle. I it on i stop and watch yeah i definitely stop and watch that one if i'm flipping through and it's on it's, it's been a good decade at least since i've seen any of those movies but i love them i think i just it's watched it last year for some reason yeah yeah i probably see it at least once a year must have been on Netflix, and I literally couldn't think of anything else to watch, so I just clicked on it. So I didn't want to get up <laughs> off the couch. Jason, were you going to add something about? Honey? Oh, I just I I listened to him recently on an old episode of the Movie Crypt, and yeah, he talked about the Honey I Shrunk the Kids a lot. I my retention's so bad, but I I felt like it was because of health problems he had to back out of that. Oh. He is having heart trouble or something. And, oh, bummer. <laughs> And then Honey, I think he I hurt my heart. And then I think they asked him to direct the sequel, and he, you know, was just too much out of it at that point. But he probably like literally wanted to blow up a kid. So, <laughs> <laughs> but like, it's kind of a bummer though, because just think of what that would have done for his career. I mean, he's done amazing movies, but most a lot of his stuff is tied to Charles Band. Right. You know? Every right. time I see that come up, Empire or Full Moon on the screen, I just go, oh, here we go. Yeah, and, and uh, don't get me wrong, I love Full Moon, I love Empire Pictures, but to go from Charles Band to Disney, you know, talk about a career move. Would it have helped, like, Dante getting Gremlins? Would it helped him? Right. Like yeah. yeah, you think? Yeah. Yeah. I have a feeling, though... <laughs> I have a theory about Joe Dante, and I have a, I have a theory that Stuart Gordon would play ball with studios better than Joe Dante did. So, uh, let's see. So, okay, Brian, what about you? What's your favorite not reanimator Stuart Gordon movie? Oh, we already talked about it tonight. It's Dagon for sure. Oh, okay. Although I do like Tad really love his Masters of Horror episodes, um, the Black Cat. I love more to do it's to do with Jeffrey Combs's performance because he's just like that might be his best performance. I I dearly wish I could have caught his one man Edgar Allan Poe show. Yeah, and I, I wish they would do it again just and film it so they could have it out on DVD and I could have a way to see it. But um, Dreams in the Witch House, as Tad said, it's got Ezra Godden from Dagon in it again, and uh, it's shot. It's it's very stagey because he does a lot of theater directing. That is still his primary gig, yep. mm-hmm. and uh, it, you know it, it looks very much like. When actually, Jeffrey Combs was supposed to be in that too. He was going to be Majorowitz, the guy, the old guy who's like with all the crosses in his room, who is trying to kind of pray the witch away through self mortification and smashing his head on the chair and all that stuff. And I get like it gone so far like they had him fitted for a wig. And they were all ready to go. And like two days before they were going to start shooting, he had to pull out for some reason. And so they went found that other old guy. And also, Ezra Godden's character is named Walter Gilman. as a little nod to his <laughs> role in Dagon. Awesome. <laughs> so, Sam, what's yours? Um, yeah, that's a tough one, man. Can you narrow it down? Honestly, I think if... If I, I mean, in terms of atmosphere, I love Dagon. In terms of performances, I love Castle Freak. But I think 
overall, if we're talking not reanimator, I think I would say uh, Fortress is actually my second favorite. Nice, that is a damn good one. It is a Some killer performance, isn't that too? What a cast, right? Holy yeah. Cow. Oh yeah. Christopher Lambert, obviously Jeffrey Combs, back again. Tommy Tolves. And uh, what's his name? Kurtwood Smith from uh, RoboCop. Mm-hmm. He plays uh, the warden, and his boot yeah. goes in people's asses. That's a great fucking movie, man. <laughs> yeah, actually, it, it almost wound up starring uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I think it was de- wow. developed for him, but well, I think there was like a schedule conflict. Well, that's what I was going to ask because I honestly I can't remember, but. Did this? Did it play theatrically? Because I think I saw it in the theater. Oh, it had to if it was late '80s, wasn't it? That was way before. I think it was '92. Oh, was it? '92, yeah. But the thing is, I think it also came out around the time of No Escape, the Mary Van Peebles prison movie, mm-hmm. uh, future prison movie. And I know I've seen one of those two in the theater. Not that I confuse those movies today by any stretch of the imagination, but I cannot remember which of the two I actually saw in the theater. Well, I know I've seen... Uh, Stuart Gordon's Full Moon stuff is is a all fan favorites at B-Fest. I've seen Fortress and Robot Jocks. Uh, Robot Jocks several times, actually, at B-Fest, and it oh, always goes to, over well. I'd love to see Robot Jocks on a... Yeah. On a bigger screen. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. I actually, I actually wrote a uh, an academic paper on Fortress in college. I need to like dig that up, <laughs> but I wrote a paper for like a some kind of class. So I watched like a shitload of times trying to <laughs> analyze every bit of it. <laughs> nice. That's a that's a cool that's a cool pick. It's a great movie, and also I'm kind of shocking coming from you because I know you're also a big Lovecraft fan. So I'm surprised it's not one of the other Lovecraft films, but yeah. Well, I think Fortress just has you know it's got kind of everything. It's got a great you know exciting dramatic story and like a big scope you know visually. Just great performances. It's, kind of got everything whereas you know maybe some of his other movies are lacking in one or two areas yeah yeah so it's just got a lot going on sweet now jason what about you well i uh i'm embarrassed but i've only i got looking and i'm like crap i've only seen two of his movies before we started this episode and really and the two obvious ones, right? Right. Um, and I tried to sneak one more in, and I watched King of the Ants yesterday. I saw you tweeted that, and I was, I, I was going to ask what you thought. I liked it. Um, I have I have uh, pre-podcast Tad Syndrome, where I'm the boy who cried awesome. <laughs> you know, like, I... Uh, I like most things. Um, I thought it was pretty good. It had a kind of rough start, but um, I thought it panned out really well. And um, even yeah, it's got Kari Wurr, so it, it made it, it. It helped. 
I'll make it Is good. it just me, or does the thing that she becomes in his oh hallucinations look a lot like Frog Chet from Weird Science? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's fucked up. That was a hard dream to deal with. <laughs> but, yeah, and it had a slimy Baldwin in it, a sweaty Baldwin. And... <laughs> Can never go sweaty wrong Baldwin. with a sweaty Baldwin. Yep. Um... But it was good. It had a neat story, and it was, you know, it took the long way around on on getting to where it got, but it was pretty neat. Um, I remember it. I, I remember watching it when it first came out, and I thought it was okay, but I, I want to give it another viewing, because I think I went in with a misconception. Because so I, I, I think Fangoria or somebody actually covered it at one time so and not reading the article i went in automatically like oh it's in fangoria it must be a horror film it's Stuart gordon it must be a horror film and it's not at all it's more of a uh kind of a crime drama thriller yeah. Ew, i said the th word you did Gross. this show is over <laughs> <laughs> um but uh otherwise i guess uh dagon would be probably my favorite of the ones we watched it seemed like the next most solid film mm-hmm. i forgot to mention this earlier but i feel it important to point out my daughter's middle name is dagon Aww. oh awesome <laughs> you weirdo <laughs> now, I, now i feel sort of bad for shitting on the movie <laughs> <laughs> that's okay as long as you don't shit on my kid <laughs> oh she's awesome well, and then my answer, I've already said it too, it's Dolls. Dolls is my favorite other than Reanimator, so that's all i got to say about that. Well, cool. That's awesome. Talked a lot about uh, Stuart Gordon movies here. What makes a Stuart Gordon movie a Stuart Gordon movie? Poe or H.P. Lovecraft? Stuart Gordon probably helps. Yeah. You know what the fuck I'm trying to say. Well, Style. Well, I think it was Tad that said uh, probably Jeffrey a Combs. lot of whips makes it a Stuart oh. Gordon movie. <laughs> Jeffrey Jeffrey Combs. <laughs> Jeffrey Combs. Ew. Barbara Crampton. Okay, fine. Don't actually answer my question. That's cool. <laughs> we are. I don't know. <laughs> well, that's what makes his style. What's his? Well, he definitely, he definitely. He loves mixing that kind of Cronenbergian body horror and, you know, kind of visceral blood and guts with, like, sex. He's definitely all about that mix, I think. Yeah. I see that in a lot of his stuff. I see a lot of, like, troubled, not always the most likable of protagonists in his films, too. Um, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> you know, uh, even the movies we discussed uh, tonight... Um, all three of those movies have like protagonists that that carry a lot of baggage, you know. So I think that might be part of it. But I I think even in some of his like less or even even some of his more far away from horror films as possible, there's you could still maybe see some horror slash or like Poe Lovecraftian influences there. So. Yeah. Thinking about the the body horror and stuff, I never 
put that together like with the Cronenberg aspect before, but you saying that just now made me realize that aside from House of Reanimator, my dream Stuart Gordon project would be to see him get handed like $60 million to do an all practical effects uh, film adaptation of Brian Lumley's Necroscope. Hmm. As nobody uh, else read that, so never mind. So, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you want to elaborate? Uh, Necroscope is a series of novels by this British pulp author who's kind of like the m- modern-day mixture of Robert Howard and H.P. Lovecraft. And he's got like the really violent pulp sensibilities of Howard, but with the monsters of Lovecraft. And Necroscope is about this guy who can talk to the dead. That's that he's the Necroscope, and uh, he winds up having to fight vampires. But the vampires in the Necroscope books are not just um, like sexy European noblemen with fangs. They're these slug creatures from another dimension that get into a body and take it over, and turn you into a monster with like has anyone seen society oh yeah oh yeah okay they can do that like they're these plastic putty disgusting and they can rip pieces of their flesh off and sort of like through telekinesis genetically engineer them into these different types of battle monsters and stuff so imagine like conan the barbarian shape-shifting vampire monsters in armor riding battle kaiju, and those are Brian <laughs> Lumley's vampires. They're fucking awesome. Sounds awesome. I'm sold. I could totally see Stuart Gordon doing something like that, too. But, but I make the society reference, because there's a lot of like really pretty ghastly body horror stuff with these things being able to shape-shift and kind of mold their flesh to their will and that kind of thing. Nice. Cool. All right. Well, that about wraps up talking about uh, Stuart Gordon. Um, Let's take a break here so we can reflect. And when we come back, it'll be segments time here on Attack of the Killer Podcast. We'll be right back. been listening to the phantom podcast network on downrightcreepy.com follow us on itunes and soundcloud for more creepy shows (laughs) and we're back it's time for segments. And let's start with <laughs> shoutouts. It's time for shoutouts. 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 All right, just ask what your favorite. Thanks, teenage Mike. Uh, just to ask what your favorite Stuart Gordon films were. And up first on Facebook, we got Jack Christensen says. Reanimator is my one is one of my all-time favorites. I had my own homemade VHS with a fancy box as a teenager. 
Edmund is pretty good, but a dark movie and not really very much fun, written by the great David Mamet. I've got that coming from Netflix. The DVD should be here in the next couple of days. Awesome. Oh, yeah, that, that was the one I wanted to get to next if I had time, because it looked cool. He said, From Beyond is something to see. It really ratchets up the crazy. Up next, Eric J. Peterson says, Reanimator! Taking Lovecraft's take on Frankenstein slash World War One tale and moving it to the 80s could go wrong in so many ways. The cast, set design, and script of a spot on... And script of it was spot on. It mixes the humor and horror well and has so many memorable one-liners. Andrew Muller says, Dagon, Reanimator, Stuck, and Dolls. Stuck. I missed that one. That's a good one. Yeah. Our pal Tim Lennerer says, Reanimator, for being awesome, start to finish. Every one of my friends who has seen this makes cat dead details later jokes. <laughs> Stuck uh, for being for being able to see an amicus film on the screen in a theater in 2007 and for having a mile-wide nasty streak. Holy shit, did Amicus produce that? Damn, I no, I need to watch it again just so I can see an <laughs> amicus film on a new movie. That's awesome. Dagon for being a great Lovecraft adaptation on a budget and for starring an actor who looks like a genetic fusion of Jeffrey Combs and Bruce Campbell. Aha! (laughs) (laughs) And finally, Robot Jocks. Because a few years ago at B-Fest, I went up on stage wearing a luchador mask and cape, carrying a toy chainsaw and reenacting the Buffalo Bill dance from Silence of the Lambs, while the evil robot on screen behind me unlimbered a chainsaw from its crotch to attack the good guy robot. He was literally doing the Buffalo Bill dance? Yep. Are you I, I, I was there and saw the whole thing. It was awesome. Oh my goodness. I, I had a friend in college that would just randomly do the Buffalo Bill dance, and he'd do it down the hallway of the, of the <laughs> building we were living in. That's terrifying. Yeah, okay. it is. Yeah. Up next, we got Jacob McLaughlin. By the way, he's new Patreon, new old Patreon subscriber. He just got to ask us all a question for a bonus episode. You too can ask us a question for a bonus episode. You get signed up on there, so do it. Patreon.com slash AOTKP. He says, I love Reanimator a lot, because who doesn't? But From Beyond is my jam. I love how bizarre it is. The practical effects are great, except for the obvious headshots of Dr. Pretorius where they don't show anything below his chin. Jeffrey Combs is solid in it, but it's definitely Barbara Crampton's film. She's fearless in both this and Reanimator. Major props to her. Love her. Up next, Matthew J. Stacy says, Reanimator is the obvious choice, but I've always loved dolls. Spooky as hell, and the lead punk girl who first bought it was the lady in the music video for Take On Me by AHA. Oh, so there's there's your connection, Sam. There's your celebrity that you're trying to figure out. Yep. Yeah, maybe that was what I was thinking of. <laughs> and he says, also, from beyond, the eyeball-sucking scene makes me squirm. Gross. Uh, real quick here, I'm on, the, I'm on IMDb for Stuck, and he's right. Production company, Prodigy Pictures, and Amicus Entertainment. Well, I'll be goddamned. Yeah. 
I didn't even know they were still around. What does that I mean for either. people? What is Amicus? Amicus is is, is a, a British uh, production house and uh, big in the the sixties and seventies. They did. They're most known for a shit ton of um, anthology horror films in the seventies. Cool. If if Peter Cushing wasn't working at Hammer, he was working at Amicus. Yeah. Awesome. Up next, we got Kier Arts. Says Dagon, followed closely by Reanimator and From Beyond. And he said Edmund is worth watching as well. Up next, our friend Greg D. Greg Diedrich from Nightmare Junkhead. Woo! Um, it's often overlooked, but Fortress is worth checking out. Goes outside of Gordon's normal horror output, but still feels like a Gordon flick. Yeah. That was another piece of uh, uh, killer news that we kind of didn't talk about. We uh, we all guessed it on an episode of Nightmare Junkhead that'll be out later this March. Um, we'll definitely link you to that uh, when it comes out. It was really fun being on their show. It's a blast. So shout outs to Nightmare Junkhead. Woo-woo. Claire Barton says, Dolls. Ah-ha-ha-ha, ah, of course. The opening title, the music, the cute effects. It's such a cult movie to me. Then we got Don and Nelly says, Dagon is entirely underrated and should be mentioned as one of the better Lovecraft adaptations, even if it's not a faithful one, but an adaptation of two stories. Castle Freak and From Beyond are a lot of fun, but the only right answer is Reanimator, which is one of the best horror films ever made. There is one more comment. <laughs> There's one more shout out on Facebook. It's from this guy named Ted Good. It says, "Give me a shout out." <laughs> but I'm not going to. <laughs> I think you just did. No. <laughs> yep, I win. Nope. And uh, nothing on Twitter. Come on, Twitter heads, tweeters. I don't know what you. Anyway, get to tweeting. Twits. Uh, twits. You damn twits. But uh, we normally do, but. Um, and then uh, over on Instagram, we have Leo Redman, who's at my underscore head underscore pipes. He says, obviously, Reanimator. Others, um, I like our Dagon uh, from Beyond. I'm ashamed to admit that I saw From Beyond for the first time in December. I'm 39 years old. And the Pit and the Pendulum, Edmund, and Fortress. And that's all we have over on Instagram. Um, remember that uh, you can leave us comments. Over on, uh, over on Vero, we have... Uh, no, I'm just kidding. We don't have anybody. No. <laughs> what else do I have to start now? What's Vero? Okay. It's a new social media platform. Oh, I did just see that. Somebody... Oh, not another I know. one. Yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> You're still having trouble with the first one. All of them are <laughs> fucking talking about. You're still on MySpace. Anyway. No, I'm definitely not on MySpace. That was last week. Um, <laughs> you can call. You can give us a call. Leave a voicemail. If you still want to comment on this on the show, you can call 415-952-6857, also known as 415-95-AOTKP. And that's shout-outs. And he spent the whole weekend wedged in a nurse's windshield, so he had a lot of time to think of a good title for you this week. 
on Insane's Picks with Insane Mike. <laughs> That's what Stuck is about. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> All right, so for this Insane's pick, I chose a lesser-known film from Stuart Gordon's filmography, and it's a damn shame. It's not. It is so highly overlooked. He, Stuart Gordon, wrote it, directed it, and produced it with award-winning effects artists such as Greg Cannon, who worked on everything from The Howling, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Fright Night Part 2, and so many more. John Fulich, who worked on Night of the Living Dead 1990, Day of the Dead, and even Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Featuring such amazing acting talents such as Joe Flaherty and Andrea Martin from SCTV, or Stephen Lee from Stuart Gordon's own Dolls, or Meshka Taylor from Designing Women and Mannequins 1 and 2. The film has everything a horror fan could want. A werewolf, a mummy, an alien, and even a cameo by Jason Voorhees himself. The film is, of course, Kids Safe, the video from 1988. So when I heard that the man who made a movie where a severed head goes down on Barbara Crampton made a kids safety video, I knew I had to check it out. It's everything I had hoped for and so much more. It's shot on video. It opens on the set of Count Floyd, Joe Flaherty's TV horror host character from SCTV. He exits, he exits his coffin, howls like a werewolf, and introduces the video as if, as if it's the feature presentation on his show. Then it cuts to Andrea Martin as Kathy, a 40-year-old little girl embraces, uh, who is left home alone um, for the evening by her parents. Now first she's freaked out by the darkness of the house and the thunderstorm outside, so, just, so she decides to calm her nerves by going to make some cinnamon toast. And then chaos ensues. When things are at their worst, Kathy is visited by a policeman, played by Stephen Lee, a fireman, played by Meshka Taylor, and an ambulance driver who teaches her how to be safe while home alone by not putting forks in the toaster, what to do in case of a fire, and not opening the door for strangers. I was a little disappointed that these Home Alone tips didn't include setting traps in case the wet bandits tried to break into their house, uh, but it is what it is. Does Kathy follow the advice of her saviors? It appears that she does when there's a knock at the door and Kathy doesn't let them in. Spoiler alert, on the other side of the door it's Jason, a werewolf, a mummy, and a space alien trying to get in, but they are defeated so they walk away. Because Kathy has learned her lesson to not open the door. This is an extremely odd uh, thing to have in Stuart Gordon's filmography. And I've kind of become obsessed with it. The fact that he wrote it, he directed it, he produced it. I want to know where this came from. Why he did this project. He did a child safety video. And there's so much talent behind it as well. So it's it's kind of far above and beyond what you normally see in a child's um, safety video. Uh, it's, it's on YouTube in full. It's a quick watch. It's only got a running time of 28 minutes. Um, 
so I would definitely check it out. Now, again, it's still a child safety video, so it gets kind of corny. Production value is still pretty low, uh, but uh, but it's it's definitely worth it. Now, it's also oddly kind of sexual as the firemen and the policemen continually are continually hitting on the ambulance driver, and when they offer to take her out for pie, it's kind of creepy. Um, but as far as the child safety video goes, it's not bad. Uh, it doesn't speak down to its viewer like a lot of uh, like a lot of children's safety videos do. Um, but I also really appreciate the connections to horror that it has. Uh, so if you want to learn why you shouldn't drink from your parents' secret liquor stash, then you should check out Kids Safety the video, written, directed, and produced by Stuart Gordon. Wow. Yeah, when I pulled up his filmography and I saw that on there, I'm like, what's this? So, so bizarre. And awesome. So anyway, so that's it. That's the show. <laughs> that wraps up this episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. I want to thank the crew for joining me once again in another great discussion. Uh, thank you all for listening. And also thank you, special thanks to our Patreon donators. Definitely really means a lot uh, that you donate to the show. But you too can also donate by going to patreon.com backslash AOTKP. Also, don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. Um, and I will leave you with a quote from H.P. Lovecraft. The oldest and strongest emotion of mankind is fear. The oldest and strongest kind of fear is fear of the unknown. And the unknown smell coming from my bathroom right now is the scariest of all. Good night, everybody.